The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What's up, All-Stars? We have a very special surprise for you today. We have scored an interview with none other than Nora Dunn, the professional hobo. She is a former financial planner who sold her practice in 2006 and has been blogging and vlogging her travels and adventures since then. She is an expert on all things travel. She's been all over the world, tons of followers on her YouTube channel. You may already be familiar with her. We are psyched that she is with us today. Here we go. Let's get started. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Hey listeners, ever wonder what it would be like to blow up your comfort zone at the tender age of 50? Well, we did just that. When our last kid went off to college, we hit the road in search of a new hometown. Now we bounce from city to city and bring you along for the ride. This is the Skip Town All-Stars podcast. Hello. Hi, Nora. Nora, we are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Introduce yourself to our audience. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and to meet you guys. I love your channel. You guys are doing a thank lot you. of really, really fun videos. And uh, so it's a pleasure to have this next little bit to chat with you guys um, about all things travel, which is my favorite topic. I have been a career traveler for 17 years now. Yeah. Uh, the year was 2006 when I decided to sell everything that I owned in Toronto, Canada, and that included a busy financial planning practice in order to embrace this lifelong dream that I had of wanting to travel the world long term and most importantly, in a really culturally immersive way. And I thought if I wait until retirement to do it and then I'm either unwilling or even more tragically unable to do these things around the world that I really wanted to do and spend a lifetime pining for, yeah. I thought the cost of not doing it was greater than the cost of doing what I did, which was very counterintuitive because it involved selling everything I owned. I didn't know what I would do. I didn't know where I would go. I didn't know how I would earn my living. I didn't even know if this was just something that I had to get out of my system for like six months and then return back to some semblance of the life that I led before. By the way, none of this, this do I recommend to people now. I, I usually Is suggest that, right? that people have a little more of a plan. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, the, you know, one of the reasons we invited you on the show was because when we started our journey, similar to yours, we're a lot older than you were when you started, but we sold off everything. Okay. So to, you're doing it for 17 years. So now you're in your 40s. You started in your 30s, early 30s. Why would you not recommend this now? Okay. So caveat, it's not that I wouldn't recommend the lifestyle. It's just I wouldn't recommend doing it with no plan. Right. Okay. And I'll bet you guys can also relate to this. When you arrive to a new place, even if it's in the States, it's yeah. new to you. Yeah. And the amount of time and energy it takes to learn that new place is half the fun. Right. But we underestimate that energetic output and the amount of time and energy it takes. Now, imagine when you're traveling internationally, not only do you not know anything, but now you're in another country with another culture and yeah. often another language as well. And then suddenly this place that was completely unfamiliar to me slowly becomes familiar. And for me, this is one of the more rewarding aspects of travel right. as a lifestyle. 
versus a shorter term adventure. Got it. Well, uh, okay. So let me ask you a question because you touched on something that I have found, you know, fairly important just in our travels, even in North America. When you first started, the internet was not what it is today. (laughs) And I know you were, uh, because you were working remotely, you still had to hit your deadlines on, you know, whether self-imposed or not, you still have a schedule that you're trying to keep in terms of building your own blog, in terms of feeding your own YouTube channel. Let's talk about that because I've rolled up into some towns where, you know, the internet is like 20 mbps per second or whatever and that's that's not very good for a person who's trying to deliver content regularly you know i often look back to those early days smartphones weren't a thing like i didn't even really have a phone i had a flip phone but most of the time i wasn't even using it because i didn't have a number i didn't have anything to do right i didn't experience the wonderful world of data and what it is to be connected all the time until like 2016. Uh, so this, I, I honestly sometimes wonder how I survived. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 did. I, I say like, you're the OG remote worker without Definitely. even realizing you're, you didn't, you, what did they even call it back then? There was no, there was no term remote working. So I, I really am so, I'm so glad you asked her that question. Cause I'm dying to know internet cafes are only open a certain amount of hours a day yeah. and you couldn't have spent every single day in an internet cafe. You have to tell us how the heck you did this. <laughs> well, so it was probably a few months into my full-time travels that I the light bulb went off for me. And I thought, hey, wait a minute, with a laptop and an internet connection, wait for it, I could make a living. Like I thought I was the first person to, yeah. to realize this was a possibility. <laughs> uh, but of course the range of ways or opportunities for this to happen were very, very small, comparatively speaking. But my I had always had a lifelong penchant for the written word. Uh-huh. I'd always considered myself a writer in one way or another and a, a pretty good one, if I do say so myself. So my immediate uh, career opportunity that I found for myself was that I could make a living as a freelance writer. Right. So okay. because blogging even wasn't a thing. I had a blog, but it was really just a glorified online journal. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. you know, family and friends could see what I was doing. And so I could just satisfy this personal creative desire to chronicle my adventures. So for when it come to when it came to the idea of making money, freelance writing was the outlet. Uh, and that's actually a pretty easy way. Well, it is and it isn't. From a from a megabytes perspective, it's a pretty easy way to make money online because I could do most of my writing offline, maybe with some research, but in very targeted times, you know, like when the internet cafe is open, I can go in and do the research I need to do for this article, take it home, and then work offline. And then I can submit my assignments through email. So that was very easy in that sense. Okay, so I have a question about that. How, okay, you're in another country. Let's just say, oh, I don't know. Let's pick any country. You're in Germany. So you're remote, you're a writer. You're sending your pieces in through email. You've got your Word document, all that. Nora, how are you getting paid? Because, okay, so you don't have a bank in Germany. Like these are things that like people think about. Like, so, okay, they send you a check for this great piece. How do you even access that money? Because we're in 2006. Was there an ATM that could, I mean, how the heck did you <laughs> yeah. do this? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I actually worked from a company out of New Zealand last year and it was a lengthy week-long conversation with their production accountant on how I would get paid in Los Angeles. And that's in 2022. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk. 2016 or you know whenever yeah how the heck did you even get paid like you're you're okay great you're writing how did you get tell me where'd you go to pick up your check 
Um, okay, so we, I mean, it wasn't the prehistoric times. I mean, we, we were technologically capable of, of doing such things. And the main way, uh, the, the main conduit for any kind of pay that was uh, made was PayPal. Oh, they were basically oh. the only kids on the block at that stage of the game, but they right, were okay. definitely there. Yeah. Uh, and okay. it was easy to transfer money internationally that way. Very occasionally, I was sent certain magazines would only send checks uh, to which they sent. They sent it to a Canadian address that I had uh, where uh, it was basically my mom's place and she <laughs> right. would get those checks and then she could deposit them for me. Perfect. That's These good. days, if you don't have mom or dad or Auntie Gertrude or somebody to check your mail for you, uh, you can sign up for a virtual mailing service and they can do the same sort of thing. They can receive your mail and some even provide check okay. deposits. Yeah, services. we have one. We actually. have one. Yes. Yeah. And Anytime it's Anytime mailbox. Yeah. It's so, fantastic. They open it up is. your mail, they send you screenshots of it, and you can they can send it to you wherever you are. It's amazing. When did you do you have one that you use? No, I uh, I used a family member for most of my years of full-time travel. And then I actually, after 12 years of full-time travel, I did return to Canada for uh, a variety of reasons. And I got a place. Uh, so now I have a, a personal mailbox, but now I still have to get someone to check that. Right. So I do. I normally just get a neighbor to check my mail and let me know if there's anything that I need. Uh, but to be perfectly honest, I'm actually on the fence. I'm considering getting a virtual mailbox anyway, because yeah. it just adds a, a little more of a professional edge, especially if you run a company uh, yeah. that you can just put everything through that. I'm curious, though, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you sure. had any difficulty with your banking services or government agencies like driver's license, ministry of transportation, yeah. whatever? Yes, we accepting have. Accepting a, a virtual <laughs> mailbox. Has that been a challenge for you? Uh, not so much th with the mailbox itself, but I would say uh, car insurance. We ran into oh. a situation where they just didn't like the fact that we did not have a home. We didn't have an address. They didn't want to use my virtual mailbox address they because they knew it was at a mailbox facility. So they knew it was not a physical house or apartment or what have you. So yeah, they gave Denise quite a bit of grief over that. The truth is in the States, you cannot be insured as a driver if you don't have a place of residency because I don't know if it's like this in Canada, you cannot rent a car in most car rental places without proof of insurance. And I can certainly show a, a card that, 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 cause you know, on a, an insurance card in the States, it has an expiration date and it goes about six months. If an insurance company cancels you within that time frame, the, the rental car company will never know. Sure. I can use that, but you know, if we ever got into an accident, I'm not insured. It's an unfortunate thing because a lot of virtual mailbox companies build them because they're not, the address itself is not a PO box. Right. The, the implication is that you can make it your residence address. So it's interesting that you're struggling not having that, not being able to actually legitimately use it as a residence address. We gave it to the insurance company and she was on the phone with me and she said, I just Googled it. It's not, a, it's not, yeah. she goes, it's a mailbox place. She did a place. street view. <laughs> So wow. yeah, the insurance companies are no joke. I would say the government agencies, we're fine. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah. It's the actual people who would owe us money in the event of some sort yeah. of accident or what have you. They they really do their homework. They they double check on it. That's uh -huh. just the nature of the insurance industry in the United States, I guess. So, but I, okay. So uh, I know that when you started and where you are now, there's been sort of an evolution in your travel to where you have a base camp now that you did not have originally. Can you tell us about sort of when that point was for you and, and just that evolution? Yeah, absolutely. It, Cause it was a very important evolution and it's, um, it's really a function of having learned uh, a lot of different lessons. Uh, but in those first 12 years, so like when I started, 
there was no infrastructure for people like me. There were no tools or services or even names or communities or conferences right. or anything. So I did what exactly what I wanted to do with my lifelong dream, which was to live around the world. And I lived very locally around the world. But the first lesson that I, I stumbled upon was that there is a, a misconception to this very day, yeah. this misconception, the number one misconception about the travel lifestyle is the association between the word travel and vacation. Right. Oh, for In sure. In that, our only understanding of travel is to be on vacation. That's it. But I was working full time. Uh, I was always, I remember staying with a family in Spain for a week and I normally went out and did, you know, went out walks in the community and did touristy things during the day when the kids were at school. And then when the kids came home, I was usually in my room working yeah. because that was uh, because of the time difference. And at the end of that week, the little boy came up to me and said, why did you spend your whole vacation in Spain on your computer? Just sheer lack of understanding. Right. Uh -huh. And so imagine 12 years of swimming against a constant stream of misconceptions right yes i lost all sense of belonging in the world ah interesting yeah. so somewhere in asia the bottom fell out literally and figuratively so i went back to canada and got a place and then fairly quickly realized that canada's not my people oh no oh. really oh. i mean they're not not my people right but they're not the people that i was looking for I was looking for people who also had travel lifestyles and remote careers. Oh, okay. So it took me a few years to then realize that that was actually the community and the sense of belonging that I was looking for. And I uh -huh. have since designed and redesigned my travels. But I will also say now that I have this home base, I mean, I'm here in the next entire year, I will be here cumulatively a month and a half. Oh, oh okay. It almost doesn't make sense having the place, but I've also been here for the last four months. So then it does make sense because where would, for that four months, that really gives you a sense of, uh, a, like, you just need your feet grounded to do the things you need to do. We know what that means. Yeah. Well, and yes and no, I, I, I see you that and I raise you the possibility that you can design your travel lifestyle to give you all the grounding you need. All you okay. have to do is create and set a pace of travel that works for you. Ah, so let's talk about pace. What did, what does your pace look like today? <laughs> Okay, so another loaded question, but uh, I'll, I'll say, I'll tell you what I'm doing in the next year after okay. I tell you what I think, generally speaking, the ideal pace of a full-time travel lifestyle would be, which would be a minimum of three months in each place. Got I it. agree with you. I'm a big, I'm, I've said this to him, even being in the States, I agree with you that each city we visit should, it, I've said minimum is a month, like minimum, you're just yeah. figuring it out. And if you're working, nobody really understands that if you're working, you just said it, you're only actually seeing that place two days out of the week. You're just like everyone else who's working. You have two days off, whether yeah. it be Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday and Thursday, you still are only visiting that place for two days. So three months makes complete sense to me. It does. We spent uh, three weeks in Savannah and I would say it's it felt at oh. least a week or two short. So we had just gotten a rhythm on our daily schedules and everything uh, and the ability to know where everything that we wanted in town was. And then you have to pick up and leave. Yeah. You you address this. Yeah, you've addressed this on YouTube. You've addressed this in your writings. I've read it. And I that's where, I mean, those you have 
written a lot of things that resonates with us, even though your travels are internationally, that I we can nod to and say, oh, we feel that. We have and we've only been on the road for a year. So it doesn't compare. Yeah, at we got all. 16 to go to catch up with you. Exactly. <laughs> it's but, not a competition. <laughs> <laughs> so three months you feel. Three months would be ideal. And and I want to, you know, you just touched on it and I'm gonna highlight something that you said in there because I think it's really important for anyone who's considering this travel lifestyle is that is that, you know, if you think about a month, like again, coming from our vacation mindset, if you think, well, I'm going to spend a month in every place with, you know, I'm, I'm new to this lifestyle. I'm planning out a lifestyle. It's going to be a month in every place. That feels like a long time, Uh but you got to think about the past before you even go, you've got to choose where you've got, you're going to go. So you're going to choose the city or the state, right? Then you got to choose the neighborhood. Then you got to find a place to stay. And then you got to figure out how to get there. And you got to book the accommodation and book the travel. Da, 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 da. You haven't even shown up yet. Yeah. 100%. Then you show up and you're like a newborn and you don't know where you are, what to do or how to survive, right? So then you got to figure all that out. And it takes you a few weeks to even get your feet underneath you, at which point it's time to pick the next place. Yes. And you just, you get on this treadmill of, and then so the ultimately even at one month per destination, you're not going to be able to experience half of what you would like to see if you were actually hoping to, to experience that place, which is why three months is, is that real sweet spot. Yeah. Having said that for the next year, I'm basically moving at a pace of one month per destination. Is that right? Why? Yeah. That's pretty fast. That's pretty fast. It is fast but I've got help. And this kind of ties in everything that we've talked about so far. This is a really organic, lovely way that this whole conversation has gone, but it ties everything together because I I, I talked about the fact that I came back here because I lacked that sense of community Mm -hmm. and, and, and that I subsequently realized that the sense of community I was looking for was not the cultural sense of belonging with my home country, but more the, the under the ability to, spend time with people who have traveled lifestyles and remote careers. Right. So there are now all kinds of really interesting tools and services that have been created for people who want to do what I do. Uh Uh, And so this past January, I spent a month on the island of Madeira at a co-living space. Oh, no way. First time doing this. Co-living? I did not know that was a thing. How is it different than a hostel? because it's for remote workers. So a hostel is more of an environment where you show up, you stay in a dorm room, you share a bathroom and everyone's backpacking, nobody's working and there's heavy partying. All good, nothing wrong with that. However, a co-living usually is for, it's for people who work remotely. So there's a few differences here. Normally everybody has their own space, like they have their own room, often their own bathroom. Uh, Although sometimes there are some shared dorm dormitory style accommodations um but then the place also is geared towards helping people achieve work-life balance there's ergonomically friendly workspaces there's high-speed internet uh there are and the people that you are living and working with are like all share the same lifestyle right so when i spent that one month in madeira there was a core group of us basically it was a it was a two-story house with a bunch of different bedrooms. And then we all shared the living room, kitchen, dining room, terrace, all of those spaces. And there was a good workspace and internet. Mm-hmm. And um, so we all, there was a core group of us who were there for most of that month that I was there. 
And then there were kind of some people who swung in and out through the edges or, you know, were just staying for a week and whatnot. And in the course of that month, I, I remember one particularly pivotal moment where I just kind of looked up and it was almost like I took a snapshot in my mind of the experience. And it was just one of those nights where it just happened that we were all kind of cooking our own dinners at the same time. And there were some tunes playing. And then we had this big spread of dinner, like everyone ate their dinners. And and then we played cards and there was wine and somebody made a cake. That's always a hit. Uh, yeah, of course. And, and, and then I realized, I looked at this table and I'm like, wow, this is like, there's like 10 different nationalities represented at this table. And we all have remote careers. We all have travel lifestyles. Right. And we are all together experiencing this destination that's foreign for all of us. And we're sharing our experiences together together at this table. And we're sharing those experiences with our own cultural context and lens that we're looking through, which is fascinating. So these were your so, people. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I thought, okay, that's really cool. All right, that's a community thing and that's a way. And also it's kind of easy, like instead of kind of starting from scratch, in a destination and going, oh, what's the neighborhood that I want to go in and how do I meet people? Yeah. All I have to do is choose the co-living space, which is ideally going to be situated somewhere where somebody like me would like to stay. Okay. Yeah. So I have a question. How much does something like that cost? Do they charge you per day, per week, or per month? Because our listeners are going to literally gobble this up. <laughs> well, it depends. And it depends on that because there's lots of different co-living spaces and sites and houses. Uh, I do have some resources on my website and I'd be happy to give you the links to that. Uh, there's Perfect. one in particular that I created totally for selfish reasons, but it's how to book digital nomad friendly accommodation nice. and their alternatives to Airbnb. And these are those, and I personally use this as my own resource when I'm looking for a place to stay because it includes co-living spaces as well as medium to long-term rentals. Tell everybody your website so that they yeah, know. Yeah, let's have your website for starters. All right. The website is theprofessionalhobo.com. Nice. There's a name that I started calling myself when people said, you know, like it was early on in the lifestyle and people were like, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, mm, I don't have an answer to that. I make <laughs> homeless look good. So I'm going to call myself a professional hobo and it's stuck. Okay. So if anybody wants to get information about the co-living um, opportunities, they can go right to your website. And as you say, it differs from my guess is city to city, country to country and what you're looking for. Okay. And do, does it also differ in the amount of people you can co-live with some, maybe four or five others, 10 or 12, something like that? Yeah, it's, it's dramatically different from property to property. And every day there are new, um, resources being created to help people find co first of all there are new co-living spaces around the world being created at a rate but okay. then there's also new ways for people finding that like just the other day i was contacted by someone who started uh, an app that provides a, a way for people to find co-living spaces instead of looking for by country which is how most people search for these things right. you can search by interest so you can oh, say wow. i really like surfing where are the really oh. where are the co-living spaces that have facilities for people who like surfing do you want to share that information, the app, or is it not? Has it not been launched yet? It's a brand yet? new site. I don't even remember what it's called. I think it's called CoLive Values. Okay. Okay. But uh, but I can I can send it to you afterwards, and you can put it in the show notes. Great. Yeah, we will definitely include that stuff in the links. Thank you. Uh, I have a question. Uh, going back to your blog, uh, I clicked on one of the links where you visited India. And I thought you did a really great job of explaining what each photo uh, was and sort of a different interpreta interpretation or take on each photo. So my question is, um, so, you know, I'm just going to like not bury the lead here. You were not a fan of India. Uh, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but, um, 
I guess my question is when you arrive somewhere and it's not the situation that you thought it was going to be, what, it, uh, how long do you give it to let it grow on you? Or do you just cut bait and decide, okay, I'm going to shift gears and go somewhere else? That's a great question. And India was a, an experience unto itself. Remember when I, I said a little bit earlier, the bottom fell out literally and figuratively. Yes. Yeah, that was it. Um, oh, wow. that, that was where it happened <laughs> literally and figuratively. If, you, if anyone knows what Panchakarma is, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but it was, uh, so when do I cut loose? You know, sometimes I've already made a plan. So uh -huh. like if I've already booked accommodation for a month, I'm usually going to stick it out because okay. sometimes things can change in that period of time. Now, sure. India is one of these unique places that it tends to be a love it or hate it sort of place. Yeah. Although sometimes people only love it after they've left, which is kind of interesting. They love it in retrospect. Okay. But it's also one of these places that no matter how experienced you are as a traveler, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to get schooled. Like it's just one of those places. Okay. Uh, and is it because you're, hold on. Is it because you're a female? I have to ask. It's not the safest place for a female. You know, it's a good question. I'm not sure the degree to which it is because of that, but I will okay. share the experience of a fellow Canadian female who did resonate with India. I mean, she went there with an open heart and open arms and she lives there now. So wow. she really okay. full on like embraced it for what it was. And I actually spent a little bit of time with her in India and I could see it. She was in her element. I was not. It was a slugfest the whole way for me. Wow. Okay. Uh, so she was obviously able to embrace it in a certain way. And one of the things that she told me in retrospect, she says, India is one of these places that shows you it's kind of a reflection of where you're at within yourself. Mm. And I think travel in general actually does that. You know, there's Agreed. a school of thought that says wherever you go, there you are. Uh, and it, it's, you are reflected, you know, if you're self-aware enough to kind of understand that, see the signs, you can see aspects of yourself reflected back to you in the experiences that you're having when you travel. India takes that to like another order of magnitude. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> wow. And I wasn't doing well. That was when I had realized finally that I'd lost all sense of belonging and I was physically uh, ill and I was burnt out and all the things. So that was a rough experience. Although I will admit that article is one of two pieces of writing that came out of me in almost a channeled way. It's one of my favorite articles because of it. Yeah. So sometimes life's misadventures make for the best stories. Uh, Absolutely. No question. Yeah. <laughs> How have your travel hacks changed in the last 17 years? I mean, certainly I will say a pivotal moment for me was discovering the wonderful world of frequent flyer miles. Oh, and yeah. Okay. That happened around 2010, I think. There was a there was a promo that was being done with U.S. Airways, which, of course, that dates me because it's since been debunked. Yes. But they had this online shopping thing where you could spend all these money at online retailers through their online shopping mall and get all these points. And then basically through the strategic use buying of points, I could accumulate whatever it was. It was enough points to fly anywhere in the world in business class. And I spent about $1,000 on stuff I would have bought anyway, but I spent $1,000 to get those points. So $1,000 for a business class airfare anywhere in the world. And I was in New Zealand at the time. Oh. And so I literally went, okay, I got enough miles to go anywhere in the world in business class. So I, I was like, what's the farthest place in the world I could possibly go from New Zealand? Spain. Good. And I booked it. Uh, let's put it in, hold on. Let's put it in perspective for people who don't know a business class ticket from New Zealand to Spain would cost roughly how much money at that point at, during that time. Cause now it's uh, obviously much more. Oh yeah. Now it would be much, much more at the time that exact business class fare was $8,500 mm -hmm. wow. and you paid a thousand dollars. It's so brilliant. And so many um, airlines were doing that. And then they realized 
it wasn't benefiting them and they cut that program out. Like you can't do that anymore. Yes and no. I still consistently, all of my long haul flights are in business class and they're for way less than the price of an economy ticket. Oh, I, that's incredible. And you can, anybody who wants to know that trick has to go to her website and you talk about it also on your YouTube. There's a certain an expenditure of time and effort in order to figure out not only how to accumulate the miles, but then also to figure out how to redeem them at a good cost per mile. However, as soon as you step into that business class lounge or on that <laughs> flight and you have it's your life it. flat bed and you're sipping yeah. your champagne while, you know, cattle class is you know, trying totally. to work out the seat recline situation, you feel pretty good about that work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you only fly business now? Uh, listen, oh no, I'm going to say that most of my long haul flights are in business class. That's amazing. Uh, and the short haul flights, I don't mind putting those in economy. That makes sense. Okay. Well, uh, so I know Denise has really been dying to ask you about, speaking of money, she's been hyper-focused. We talked about it before we even started recording on where you hide your money when you're actually traveling. Okay. So you've done a lot of videos about hiding money. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm obsessed with those videos. So I've gone to, I've gone to your Instagram. I've gone to your YouTube. I know you have a TikTok, and I'm like, okay, different places to hide money. I'm so afraid housekeepers are going to see your videos and they're going to find my hairbrush and they're going (laughs) to Because now that is a new hiding place. But I have to ask, um, do you ever use, okay, we're going to talk about hiding money, but do you ever use a hotel safe? Because it sounds like you don't. Yeah. So it's so funny because in one of my videos, I talked about how hotel safes are notoriously insecure. Uh, And and they are. I mean, the reality is that hotel staff has a special key that can open up those safes. And and thank goodness they do, because at one point I did lock myself out of my own hotel safe. Um, But uh, and then I I suggested that the alternative would be to lock your valuables in your luggage uh, with a TSA lock. And I got a lot of flack for that because, of course, a TSA lock is even more insecure than a hotel safe. Oh, it could be snapped really easily. Totally. It could be snappy. Like, there it there are be universal snapped, keys cut, everywhere. But there's also universal keys for TSA locks. That's the whole oh. point of a TSA lock is that it can be universally opened with one of these keys. And if you know where to get the key, then blah, blah, blah. I did not but, know that. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Oh, yeah. Every age, every TSA agent has one in their pocket. Yeah, but does that mean housekeepers it's a, have you, them too? It's a, I, well, I think they're easy enough to get. get. You can probably order one on Amazon if you're clever. Okay. Yeah. So have you ever been robbed or pickpocketed? Because you do a lot of videos about pickpocketed. So I need to know, have you been robbed or pickpocketed? I've been robbed. I've not been pickpocketed. Okay. What happened? Was it in a hotel or was it on your person? So the the robbery, uh, which is again, something else I also got flack for on YouTube because I say it was my fault and people are like, you should never, you're victim blaming by saying it's your own fault. But it, it, I, I still maintain that uh, if I hadn't done what I did, then I would still have my stuff. And what happened was uh, I was in Cusco in Peru and I had a bunch of, I had my purse hanging off my shoulder and I had these bags in my hands and I got into the taxi and then I got out of the taxi and I had the bags in my hands. But what I didn't realize is that the shoulder strap had slipped off my shoulder and over the bags and I left my purse in the wheel well and I was sitting in the front seat because my friends were in the back seat. So I left my purse in the, in the foot well of the passenger seat of the car. And I got out, we all got out, closed the door, the car started to drive away. And then I immediately realized I was without my purse and we chased after the car, yelling, screaming, all those sort of things. At which point the car sped up and kept driving. And then we kept running and then we kept running because there was actually a lot of traffic. So we were like almost caught up to it for like two blocks and then it ran the next red light, which told me that they knew that they had my purse by that stage of the game. I guess we could say it's a combined fault. Yes, if the driver were honest, he would have stopped and handed my purse back, as most people, quite frankly, would. 
Uh, I don't like to go through this world fearsome of everybody or assuming that everybody wants a piece of me. But I do believe that what is there's a I think there's a saying trust in Allah but tie up your camel, right? So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for sure. It's a proverb, I guess, but uh, same sort of thing, right? So I trust in the goodness of humanity, but I also know that you know, there, there are, are thieves some, out there. There are thieves out there. Right. And I learned a lot of lessons that day. So that was where I learned about things like don't carry all of your cash and all of your cards in one place. Diversify on your body as well as amongst your travel partners. Make sure there's a bit, there's an extra card and cash somewhere else. Make sure that you have all that information stored somewhere that's not just your phone. Because I lost everything. I lost my wallet, all my cash, all my cards, all my ID and my phone. Oh. The only thing that I didn't lose was my passport, which was at the place where I was staying. Yeah. And if I had not been with friends, I would not even have been able to get there because that was a 45 minute drive and a mountain range away. Holy cow. Wow. And I had nothing like I don't even know what I would have done. Oh, no. Because I didn't have a phone to call anybody. I didn't have any cash. I didn't right. have any, so I was so lucky because I was with friends. Imagine, imagine if that had happened and I hadn't been with anybody. So okay. it was there were silver linings and many lessons learned. Split up your cash. I mean, you say that over and over again, split up your cash. So we are notorious where we carry it when we go overseas. I always have it in a zipper pocket in my purse, blah, blah, blah. But now looking at all of your videos, I'm like, oh, I'm going to mix it up because if my, if the money gets robbed in my wallet and my purse, but at least I'll have it maybe in my baggage or I'll have it in my hand, like my travel bag. So I, yeah, I, we've been where I have actually split up the cash with him and I'll say, you know, you take half, but then I'm always so worried. Like I think a wallet is so easy to steal, but he now keeps it in his front pocket because it's silly to have it in the back pocket. There was an incident when we were in Paris and we saw the gypsies on the on the train and they were, they were, they were doing their gypsy thing. They were dancing and singing and he started panicking. and he goes, what do I do? What do I do? I go sit down. They can't rob you if you're sitting. It's very hard to rob you if you're sitting, but if you're standing, they'll circle you and there'll be hands everywhere. But, um, any case, well, panicking is a, a, a harsh word, I think, but, uh, <laughs> okay. but anyway, we, uh, I, I, so, uh, you were flustered. <laughs> I was, I was, I was concerned. Uh, I was concerned in fairness, uh -huh. but okay. So what are some of the favorite hiding places for actual currency cash so my favorite thing to do and this is without fail what i always do is i always have a little pouch that can fit underneath my clothes or in a hiding spot in my bag and in that pouch i have an rfid sleeve and inside that sleeve is a spare credit card and a spare piece of id I also have some cash, usually US dollars or euros, because those are the easiest currencies to convert in any country. Right. Uh, and I also have a USB stick with a little encrypted program on it. So like if, if someone got this USB stick and stuck it into a computer, they wouldn't the, the program would not open without a special password. They would not be able to get into it. But if, if they know the special password, which I've committed to memory, they can get into, I can get into this program that then has all of my uh, ID information, uh, credit card numbers, numbers to call if a credit card has been lost or stolen, uh, my ID numbers, copies of my ID, actual photos that I've taken of my ID. So I've got it all in there on that USB stick that would be useless without that password. So that's my little emergency pouch that's brilliant on a travel day that goes underneath my clothing somewhere 
Okay. Because they don't. Because robbers generally aren't going to look between clothes. They're going to like just kind of look at what the big items are. Yeah, in the, the purse, the wallet, the, in, whatever in, you're. Well, in the handbag. She, I mean, sorry, in the luggage, right? You're talking about in the luggage. Where do they go to first? Like inside of a shoe is my guess. They always think everyone hides their stuff in a shoe. You know what? I feel like most crimes are crimes of opportunity. I'm not even sure they would get that far, to be perfectly honest. Like I think if somebody makes it into your room and they're, they've got, they know that they've got seconds to take whatever's out. So they're going to take what's out. You leave your laptop on the, on the, on the desk. They've got that. You right. leave your purse out. They'll just take the whole purse. You leave, you know, are they going to go through your, all your shoes? Are they going to check the, you know, that one of the hiding spots in my video is like a deck of cards. You know, you cut a hole oh, in a deck it's... of cards and put stuff in there. I'm like, just put something in the card package. Like they're not going to open up all your cards and throw them everywhere. Like That's right. so true. <laughs> they're That's trying to get in good... and out really fast. So just look for things, you know, like places to hide your, your money that are just very normal things because if they just look at your luggage and they see a normal thing, there's a box of tampons, they're not going to go through all the tampons. That is to true. Find the hundred bucks that you've got <laughs> hidden in there. I'll have to remember that for myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, do you prefer to travel with a partner or alone? They both have redeeming qualities and compromises. Mm. Good answer. So, uh, it, a, it's gotta be the right travel partner. Uh, communication is key, right? That is so important. One of the things I love about traveling with somebody is if you're with a good travel partner that where you've got a great synergy and you can experience things together and you both have a similar sense of adventure, that's great. But then also you've got enough communication and comfort with one another that you can go off and have your own individual experiences as well and not have any weird feelings about that because then you can come back together and you can share your experiences. Right. And when you travel with somebody long-term, they are your contextual baseline for all of your experiences. They are your barometer for how you have changed and evolved through your travel experiences over the years. Mm. When you travel solo, you don't have that. So the advantages of traveling solo is you can do whatever you want, whenever, however, for how long it is ultimate freedom, which is amazing. But I also have found in the long, long term of traveling solo and going from amazing experience and amazing experience with different people alongside each experience, nobody understood where I came from and, and consequently no one could reflect for me to me myself and how I had changed and grown and how I could assimilate those experiences that I was having into the greater context of my life. Wow. That was a really deep answer. I mean... <laughs> That's Thank you. a lot to think about. I mean, that was actually a beautiful answer. Yeah, it, it makes sense when put that way. Um, so, okay, so I have a question and I know we're short on time, so I'm not going to ask you to sing for us as I know you are prone to do sometimes in your videos. <laughs> uh, we'll have to save that for some other episode. But uh, I guess my question is, pound for pound, what is your favorite place in terms of friendships you've made, living experiences, uh, romantic relationship, whatever the, whatever the variables were, where is one place when, you know, you're laying on your deathbed one day and you say, I'm so glad I was at X, Y, Z. What a great way of putting it. Most people just normally go, so what's your favorite place? Um, and normally the, the answer to that question, I would preface, I'm going to give the same preface to yeah. that question, because I think it's contextually appropriate, is, is that travel is contextual. So uh, your favorite place, my favorite place, have actually very little to do with the actual place itself, the actual destination. It has more to do with exactly what you just said. 
Who are you with? What are you doing? And how are you feeling? That right. creates an experience. The most beautiful sunset in the world could be a tragic sight if you've just had your heart broken. It is yeah. true. Right. So um, thank you for recognizing that travel is about more than place. And it is actually about a more comprehensive experience because that is that is so important. So having said that, I, I have to give you two. Okay. Um, it's like choosing favorite children. I can't, I can't just. Answer. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> but uh, so one of them is Peru. I spent two years living in the sacred valley of Peru. It's an absolutely epic place on so many levels. But Peru as a country is it, I mean, the biodiversity is ridiculously diverse. I mean, yeah. you've got high altitude, epic mountains. You've got jungles, you've got deserts, you've got plains, you've yeah. got canyons, even deeper and more dramatic than the Grand Canyon. You've got beaches, you've got all the things. Peruvian cuisine, the new black amazing yeah uh the culture the language the all the things amazing country beautiful uh and also to be my context for being there eventually it was weird it wasn't my plan when i showed up but i ended up apprenticing with a shaman for two I years i read that i what? read that yes. really i yes. did not read that i read okay. that i know there was a little heartbreak there you i know you had to, i know there was something that you know you didn't you didn't say what it was but i read that you know it was it didn't work out well, it was rough. It was rough because life happens while you're busy making plans. And my plan was that that was me. I was like, I'm apprenticing with a shaman. This is my new life. I'm doing it. And then, and then, yeah, something happened. And then suddenly I went from, this is my plan. This is my new, the new me. This is my life to boom. Now it isn't. And I mean, that's a, that's a symbolism. Like that happens to anybody in all forms of life all the time. You know, all you need is a natural disaster. Boom. Your home no longer exists. Life is, as you know, it changes. So that was just one of those moments for me there. And I was forced to adapt. But I also recognized as well, with a dose of hindsight, that the most amazing things that I've done in my life were not things that I could possibly have planned or anticipated. Mm. All our job is, is to just keep our, regardless of whether or not you travel, is to just keep your eyes open to the possibilities and to be flexible and willing to jump on the opportunities as they present themselves. You can live the most magical, fantastical life if that's all you do. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, we missed number two. Though. Yeah, I was what just going to say, two? but what's Peru. number two? Yes, we're greedy. Two? We're totally you greedy. You said Peru and then what's number two? We're like two kids on Christmas morning right now. <laughs> what's the second place? Tell us the second place. <laughs> number two, New Zealand. Oh. New Zealand is not a place that anybody accidentally passes through. Like you have to want to go there. It's not on the way to anywhere except yeah. perhaps Antarctica. Uh, so you, you have to spend a lot of time and effort and often money to get there. Agreed. So that yes. kind of makes it special because it's not on the way to anything. It's not a layover. It's not a, an accidental thing. It is right. truly a destination. Yeah. Right. So it is truly a destination. And then when you get there, you realize why it's such an amazing destination. Again, amazing biodiversity, also amazing people, amazing nature. Uh, I love the culture. I love the, the sense of humor, uh, of the, of the New Zealand people. Uh, and there's a lot of similes between New Zealand culture and Canadian culture, which I, I kind of like as well. Uh, and their accent is just, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we want to thank you so much for your time. This flew absolutely. by. You're amazing. Yeah. Thank you. We were so fortunate to have time to spend with you today. Once again, thank you, Nora Dunn. The professional hobo.com is where you want to go. 
when it's time for you to start thinking about your next journey. Uh, again, thank you so much. With great pleasure. And I have one last thing that I would like to offer anyone. It's a free gift. If you go to theprofessionalhobo.com slash free gift, I am offering a checklist of 10 things to do before you travel long-term, which helps you cover off a lot of those bases, some of which we talked about, like virtual mailing services uh, and packing lists and all of these things. So you can hit the road effectively and stress-free. So that's my gift to anyone watching this who is interested. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. We're going to plaster it all over our socials. Yeah. We're also going to put it in the liner notes for this show. Nora Dunn, props. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nora. Have a great week. Yeah. Empty nest, full tank. Bye. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.